0: Welcome to this policy event for EU Green Week 2022 hosted by The Nature Conservancy in partnership with EURACTIV. I'm Brian Maguire. Our theme today is accelerating renewable energies in Europe, how to ensure a win-win for climate and biodiversity. We want you to participate today, send your questions in the chat section. We'll bring those uh, to our panelists a little bit later on. And you don't have to wait until uh, you see the panel. If you have questions uh, burning within you, send them right now and uh, we'll get those organized uh, for the panel later on as well. We really hope uh, to hear from you uh, throughout the program as well. Now the program today focused on the European Commission's Repower EU plan, which proposes a massive acceleration of renewable energy to boost energy independence in Europe and decarbonization, and also to help uh, reduce prices over time. The Commission proposes to increase the headline 2030 target for renewables from 40% to 45% under the Fit for 55 package. As the focus uh, turns to how EU can be successfully implemented, some are concerned about a new clause to recognize renewable energy as an overriding public interest and are warning against introducing a blank check for investments that could potentially undermine wildlife and biodiversity. In this event, uh, we'll examine how EU plans could be implemented in ways that ensure a win-win for both climate and biodiversity. And We'll look at the role of science and data, uh, how to achieve this, and we'll draw on existing examples to explore how best practice in renewable energy siting could be strengthened and scaled up in Europe to help make Repar EU a tremendous success Now, uh, to introduce uh, this morning our uh, keynote video message uh, from uh, Mr. Mario Schilig, State Secretary at the Ministry of Economy and Sustainable Development of Croatia. We're very pleased he was able to send this.
1: Dear colleagues, in the context of the triple crisis, biodiversity loss, climate change, and the energy deficiency aggravated by the aggression of Ukraine, the achievements of the goal of ecological transition as well as the energy independence are crucial for our survival and long-term sustainability of our economies. The process of turning to renewable energy sources is enhanced by our ambition for climate neutrality by 2050, and nowadays catalyzed by the necessity to decrease our dependence on the energy coming from Russia. Nevertheless, this process must not be above our ambition to improve and conserve nature. Croatia as a Mediterranean EU member state has enormous solar and wind potential. However, at the same time, we have the responsibility to conserve and improve the state of our unique nature. It is one of the European and global biodiversity hotspots and a country with one of the highest share of Natura 2000 sites covering 37% of its territory. Croatia is committed to tackle both climate and biodiversity crises. Currently, we have 31% share of renewable energy, and we set ambitious goals to increase by 2030. The challenge is to enhance the capacity of renewable sources, and on the other hand, to improve and conserve biodiversity in the same area. The government of the Republic of Croatia was among the first in Europe to recognize the need to mainstream biodiversity into the renewable energy planning. We have witnessed difficulties in this process, with numerous investors proposing solar and wind projects in some of the most sensitive biodiversity areas. This is why we recognized the need to be the pioneers of cross-sectoral cooperation and we define development of sensitivity map for birds and bats on national level as one of the measures of Integrated Climate Energy Plan and the Energy Development Strategy until 2030. This should significantly rise the quality of spatial planning as a natural-friendly and depict s- suitable space for the development of wind and solar renewables. At the same time, the negative impact of nature should be minimized. We have teamed up with our local experts at the Energy Institute Hervoje Pojar, as well as with international experts within the Nature Conservancy to produce sensitivity maps for key species vulnerable to impact of solar and onshore wind. We are starting to jointly work on a modeling tool that will facilitate and speed up future decision making on renewables in our country. We will work with these renewed experts to develop tools that will be owned by the government and we will receive appropriate training to be able to run and maintain this tool independently. In light of the repower EU communication and the need to identify go-to areas for renewables, we hope our work will be inspiration to other member states to follow our example. To conclude, aggression on Ukraine and resulting energy crisis in the EU has shown that we have to boost green transition. I thank you all for your time and invite our colleagues from Energy Institute and TNC to tell you about their pilot work upon which our cooperation is building on. Thank you and I wish you all a productive discussion.
0: Our thanks to State Secretary Szilag uh, for his contribution this morning. And as he said, uh, we're now going to hear a short presentation on nature-friendly renewable energy mapping, which is informed of the latest research of the Croatian Energy Institute, the Energy Institute Hrvoja uh, Her- uh, Pojar, and the Nature Conservancy. To present this, this morning we have uh, two speakers and uh, the first of which is uh, Igor uh, Vinovich. Uh, he's the Southeast uh, Europe Con- and Conservation uh, Programme, and uh, from uh, Zelja uh, Fistrek. She's the Senior Researcher at the Energy Institute uh, Hervoje uh, Pojar in Croatia also as well. Igor, uh, Zelka, uh, great to have you with us today. And uh, I'll leave the floor to you, and uh, we'll follow up afterwards with you as well. And just after we hear the presentation, we'll introduce the rest of the panel as well. Zelka, Igor,
2: over to you. Thanks Brian. Um, Thanks everyone for joining this event. Uh, We have a very kind of good introduction by Mr. Mario Šilek from the Ministry. So I think I'll just do a a little bit more of framing of the discussion and then we can move to the technical details of the actual energy siting study that was done in Croatia. So just briefly about the Nature Conservancy on the next slide uh, that's uh, basically Uh, TNC, or the Nature Conservancy, is a global environmental NGO headquartered in the US. Uh, We have our presence around the world, over 70 countries, and what's actually probably the most important part here is that we have 400 uh, scientists on board, so in-house expertise, uh, to bring uh, state-of-the-art conservation science to work for the public interest. Uh, the, the, uh, the mission of uh, TNC is to conserve the lands and waters on which your life depends, so it's a wide mission that encompasses both biodiversity and climate goals. So On, uh, on the next slide, you can see this is our ambition to resolve both crises at the same time and find win-win solutions to, uh, to get us to overcome this crisis. Uh, this translates to uh, to the objectives which are on the next slide uh, which are both on the on terms in terms of uh, co2 emission reductions and also uh, conservation of uh, of uh, large areas of land which means translates also to biodiversity protection uh, so on the next slide, you will see basically how these two uh, crises where they're coming together, and that's where that's the, basically the um, uh, the issue that to uh, to achieve the climate goals, to to achieve the Paris Agreement goals, we need to build more renewables and we need to do it quickly. Uh, but these renewables, wind and solar, primarily are requiring a lot of land and because they are requiring a lot of land there's a increased uh, possibility or increased risk that there will be a different con- conflict so that renewable energy d- development could go potentially to the high biodiversity areas or potentially could also conflict with other land uses like agriculture um, or tourism for instance uh, so there's a there's a risk that we will jeopardize our biodiversity goals. But then there's another risk that this will slow down the progress of uh, of renewable energy development because projects will be delayed if there are conflicts and if there are, for, for instance, lawsuits from the environmental organizations which relate to the biodiversity impacts. But we think with Intnc there's a solution. So on the next slide there's a uh, it's a scheme of of this energy renewable energy siting that we are proposing uh, that is including both the development potential and environmental considerations. From from one side, we are mapping the renewable energy potential, including resource availability like solar irradiation, like wind speed, but also uh, proximity of the grid or proximity of the load centers of the places where the electricity will be uh, consumed, but at the other hand, environmental uh, considerations, so we are making sensitivity maps uh, for for species that are sensitive, or uh, maps of other potential social impacts like uh, high-quality agricultural land which shouldn't be used for solar. When these two layers are uh, overlaid, uh, ideally we get to the the zones that are uh, high resource availability, but low impact in terms of environmental and social impacts. And this could translate to the go to zones that are now mentioned in the Repower EU uh, communication. Uh, and these go to zones could potentially also then have some easier permitting process. This needs to be done early to avoid as much as possible conflicts. And what's also important is there's a wide stakeholder engagement process that everybody is involved in designating these areas so that there are less problems. Later, uh, the Nature Conservancy work on this uh, in in the US. We call it uh, site renewables right approach. We do it in India and in Europe. We show Southeast Europe as a place where uh, there's a high biodiversity value. It's a hotspot biodiversity hotspot globally and in Europe, but also high renewable energy. Um, high renewable energy potential, so uh, we decided to work with the local expertise, with, uh, uh, with uh, the Energy Institute Hrvoj and now I'll invite Jelka uh, Fishtrek to show us a bit um, how it was done in concrete example in one of the counties of, of Croatia.
3: Uh, Thank you Igor for this introduction, Uh, at the beginning I would just like to say a few words about the institution I'm coming from, that's Energy Institute Hrvaj Pozhar, which is founded by the government of the Republic of Croatia and we provide different services and professional support in the field of energy from planning, to transmission, to renewable energy sources, climate efficiency, and our clients include public authorities, national uh, and international organizations, but also, to a great extent, uh, a private sector. So, we kind of know the problems of all of them. So, in the collaboration with TNC, guided by uh, mutual goals, uh, we have started this pilot project for Zadar County, Uh, but uh, with uh, an idea to apply this approach later on, on national scale. And we are very happy and proud that the Croatian government and the ministry have recognized uh, our approach and our efforts, and that we are scaling up this to a higher level. Uh, So, uh, why Zadar County? So, it's just one of the uh, 20 counties in Croatia, However, uh, it's uh, first of all, it's uh, very rich in uh, natural potential, both for solar and wind. Secondly, this was recognized by um, investors, so there is quite a, a large interest in development of projects in this county. And thirdly, uh, as uh, Secretary Šileg said, Croatia is very uh, rich in, in biodiversity, it's a very biodiverse country and Zadar County is one of, of those countries which quite uh, significant areas, of protected areas, Natura 2000, sensitive habitats and species, so that makes it really interesting for a pilot project because it's very vulnerable to uh, development of a project. So the aim of our pilot project was to define the methodology for development of wind and solar sensitivity maps. And uh, the the potential application of of our results of the maps as we saw it was first uh, of all to kind of provide support to spatial planners in development of zones for uh, wind and solar. Then also to support the relevant institutions um, that are involved in uh, environmental impact assessments and strategic assessments to kind of provide additional uh, data that can guide them uh, in in case of they uh, need uh, some more uh, details, and also to provide uh, information to developers. So. That they are aware for example if they have a certain project in a certain area and they want to know uh, how complicated the permit could uh, a permitting procedure be that they can take a look and already get some kind of idea of the the possible problems that they can uh, encounter based on area sensitivity. So on the next slide, I will shortly describe uh, the project uh, um, approach, like the formation of the methodology. So what we did at the same beginning is the, uh, kind of to go through literature review and identify already existing approaches and try to take the best uh, from them, including the one that Igor mentioned from TNC. That was quite a, a big inspiration for us. Then we uh, took uh, um, uh, a look into the data's available. So here is one important, uh, let's say, uh, thing is that the, the availability of data. This will really uh, define the, the quality of our final product. So sometimes datas are available. Sometimes, for some cases, uh, they are not. So we need to kind of to, to balance this and form the indicators based on the data available and also their quality. So uh, we took an indicator-based approach and we formed the indicators in such way that they reflect the sensitivity of a certain uh, technology. Uh, one really important task was, was uh, uh, stakeholder consultation. So we consulted relevant public authorities, the experts in certain fields, and also NGOs And based on their input, we adapted certain parts of our methodology and also uh, the indicators. So on the next slide uh, you can see how we took a three step approach uh, and the final result was a map with five levels of sensitivity. So first in the first step, we identify areas under legal protection where no projects can be developed and we label these as exclusion zones. We also included here areas that are already developed, where you, of course, know further development can happen, like, for example, cities. So we we are talking here about larger uh, non-integrated power plants, not like the the small uh, on the roof. Then the uh, second step was uh, identification of areas uh, with potentially very high uh, vulnerability, Um, This was based on the precautionary principle and so we labelled them very high sensitivity areas. And the third and the final step was uh, 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 sensitivity uh, evaluation of remaining area which was based on a multi-criteria analysis using uh, already uh, mentioned uh, indicators and we addressed three categories biodiversity natural resources and socioeconomic aspects so in each of these categories uh, category we had uh, several indicators uh, describing them and we had here three levels of sensitivity uh, on the next slide, you can see how this process went in in, in reality. So we did this in uh, QGIS. Uh, some of the levels had, you know, maybe like 13, 15 different layers that we needed to overlap that we needed to combine. In the case of of uh, uh, results from multi-criteria analysis, we needed to calculate in order to get the 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 final sensitivity, so the, the, the message is that it was quite time-consuming a, a process. So uh, the result is shown on the next slide. This is uh, shown only for solar power plants, where we have um, uh, a sensitivity map um, for Zadar County area, where these brown fields, uh, they are exclusion zones. Then the dark red are very high sensitivity zones, and these other areas from darker orange to yellow are very high, uh, are very sensitive, medium sensitive, and low sensitive areas. We also um, constructed a map of suitability because we also want to know which areas uh, are suitable, so we included here only two parameters and that's the slope and solar radiation even though it's possible to include uh more and we got this map so at the end the final uh, product that we wanted to see is you know where uh, w- what is important for us so it's important you know where are the suitable areas which are also low sensitivity areas because these areas it's the probability of um uh, kind of a significant effect on natural resources, on biodiversity and on uh, socioeconomic aspects is kind of like the, the smallest but still there are technical conditions for solar power plant development. So we identified uh, the areas that you can see on this image and basically we came to a number of uh, 22,500 hectares but under assumption that not all of this area will be available for uh, development of solar power plants, because there are other also uses um, to, to area, uh, we took 5% and still with even 5% of this area, we can still develop uh, 555 uh, megawatts of installed uh, solar power plants, which is quite, quite a significant uh, a potential. So, I would conclude here on on this uh, um, methodology and just uh, uh, allow Igor to present, you know, the final uh, conclusions.
2: Yeah, in the interest of time, I'll just be brief. There are two more slides. Uh, I want to show you the, uh, just kind of zoom out a bit now from this uh, small county to Croatia and to Europe how this translates and how this uh, compares to objectives of, uh, for expanding renewables in Croatia. Uh, so basically these bluish areas that you've seen for wind and, and, and solar together are uh, have a potential, it's an estimate, but it's a, it's a potential of over half of the Croatia's current 2030 target, so this could, could be a bit more potentially now with the new policies coming in. Uh, and in terms of consumption this is uh probably it's, it's estimated that it could power up uh, this area can power up one-third of croatian households um this is something uh which is a, a significant a significant contribution given that this is only seven percent of croatia's land territory so it's it's a big potential there uh what's next uh that's on the next slide um it's expanding the study to the whole of Croatia or to the national level and this is where we are very pleased that we have a support from the ministry of economy and sustainable development we will collaborate in the next year to uh, to build similar maps for Croatia for solar for the whole country and for wind for the co- whole coastal area which is the most important for development of wind and this all fits in very neatly into all into the uh, national policy processes like the implementation of the national energy and climate plan biodiversity strategy but now with this new repower EU process Probably can also fit into the uh, to the process of establishing go-to areas uh, for renewables. Uh, we always think there is a need to uh, there's a, there's a space to improve. So there's a uh, space to improve uh, the data. We can go with the increased resolution because we want to get as much as possible to the to the level of, of the of the projects. And there's always a need to also. Uh, update and maintain the information uh, which we hope we can be able to uh, build a a successful model with the Croatian government using their own uh, data management systems with this i would i would end uh and i would just uh, at the last slide you can see the resources there's a full report technical report there's a briefing paper some opinion piece that you can read about this project and you can of course contact JLK and me for any additional questions and i'm expecting also questions now during the discussion so thank you everyone for the attention
0: Igor Zelka, thank you so much for that. Uh, just to let you know that Igor Zelka will stay with us and they'll rejoin us uh, for questions. If you want to uh, address a specific question to either of them, please put that in the chat and uh, put their name beside it as well. We'll bring it to them directly. Uh, I'm going to introduce the rest of the panel now. They're going to speak for about 60 seconds, just their elevator pitch, as uh, a key remarks, and we'll begin the discussion. But uh, send your questions now or your comments as well, remarks. Uh, if you can keep them short. If you can tell us who you are and where you're from, that'll be uh, useful for us as well just to give some uh, context so let me introduce the rest of the panel now we have with us uh, Jeremy Zaiton he's the attaché on uh, G for the uh, government of the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg great to have you with us uh, Gregoire Dubois project leader at the knowledge center for biodiversity of the European Commission joint research center uh, Diana Paolo Garcin, she's uh European renewables program at uh, Euroelectric and Nur Yefai, uh, Europe Director for Global Policy and Institutional Partnerships at the Nature Conservancy. Uh, Great to have all of you with us. Thanks for taking the the time to be here. Uh, Let's start with uh, Jeremy, 60 seconds, just to hear your key remarks uh, for today. Jeremy.
4: Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, thank you very much, uh, TNC, for organizing uh, this event. Very, uh, very timely in light of the New Repower EU proposals. So my name is Jeremy. I represent uh, the government of, of Luxembourg, dealing with uh, European affairs uh, in the field of, of energy. And j- just to start with, a um, couple of, of words about, uh, about Luxembourg. It's a small country, 600,000 inhabitants, uh, 2,500 <clears> uh, square kilometers. We need, we have 25% uh, renewables uh, as an objective in our NECP for 2030. So. Very densely populated country, um, highly protected, 52% of our national territories, Natura 2000 protected. One third of our territory is covered with uh, forests. So it is exactly, we're facing exactly the challenge Igor described earlier. We have ambitions for climate with renewable installations that should be accelerated. We need land, we have little land. There is conflict of usage. Uh, and uh, we are also facing uh, regulatory obstacles that, that we need to remove to, to make this happen. So these challenges you identified, Igor, are shared. And in order to, to address them, what we're trying to do is to focus on AgriPV. And I can tell you a few words about that uh, later on in the discussion. But the idea is to establish pilot projects with farmers uh, so that we all together identify the most suited uh, suitable zones for PV deployment. And uh, and and we preserve the value of the soil, the ecological value of the soil, and the revenues of the of the farmers while increasing renewables uh, deployments. So uh, we'll revert probably back to that uh, a little bit later. But I'm very happy to be here and to contribute to the panel discussion. Thank you,
0: Jeremy. Thank you so much. And over to Grégoire, uh, 60 seconds for you.
5: Yes, hello everyone from ISPRA, Italy, working at the Joint Research Centre of the European Commission, the in-house uh, science service of the European Commission. This was an exciting presentation, uh, not so much because of the tools that are complex, but because of the process. I mean, the real challenge is to bringing all these different stakeholders. And the challenge is huge, and I, Igor, stressed that. Uh, it's not only about the conservation sector and energy, but it's also about agriculture, transport, tourism. So how can we bring all these stakeholders together to take decisions uh, together? That's, that's the real challenge. Special planning will be key to the implementation of the Green Deal. Uh, We are supposed to cover 30% of our land and seas uh, with uh, conservation areas They need to be effectively managed. How are we going to do do that? Uh, It's going to be a massive endeavor. We need to access good and open access biodiversity data. It's not only about the boundaries of existing areas, but we need to plan already for new areas. Uh, And we need to have also information that is very often not available in maps, like ecological corridors or flyways. They all need to be accessible, uh, openly accessible, as well as the tools to really do this special planning together. And we need also to think beyond the boundaries. We have biodiversity hotspots in Croatia, but it's available. I mean, it's it's a hotspot for the whole of the Mediterranean area. So huge challenges, but the exciting uh, uh, work to that was presented here this morning. Thank you for that,
0: Gregor, Thank you so much, uh, Diana Paolo, Over to you.
6: Thank you, Brian. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Happy to be here and represent your electric. We are the European Association representing the electricity sector across Europe. And actually, it's um, very uh, exciting to be here because I can, you know, from from everything that has been said, we can only agree with the fact that we have uh, we have challenges and we need to break silos. Uh, we need to work together and bring everyone uh, to the table to develop integrated approaches towards renewables deployment. Now, as Zero electric, of course, we support the um, ambitious um, target for for renewables deployment but we need accelerated permitting permitting is a huge barrier now for the electricity sector and if we are to um, tackle the climate change crisis that will actually become the leading um, reason for biodiversity loss by mid-century then we need to deploy uh, massively renewables uh, at Euroelectric we're working on an approach um, that is positive for biodiversity and for renewable energy um, deployment. This is the power plant project that we will uh, launch at the Power Summit on the 16th of June. Um, and I'm happy to, to discuss about it uh, later on in the, in the panel.
0: Thank you so much. And Noor, over to you. 60 seconds.
7: Thanks, Brian. Um, I'm happy to be here from the Nature Conservancy to complement what you heard uh, from my colleague Igor. Firstly, uh, please let me say we very much support uh, the Commission's recent Repower EU proposals, especially the proposal to increase the target from 40% to 45% renewables by 2030. This would be a major step forward for implementing the climate law and yet another sign of European Uh, global climate leadership in action. We also hope that we'll soon see the EU nature restoration law, um, which unfortunately has been delayed, but which we and colleagues from industry both recognise is needed to ensure we have both climate and biodiversity win-wins. Now, it's vital that we ensure that member states have full confidence that the increased renewables target can be implemented in ways that meet both climate and biodiversity targets and that's why the proposal for dedicated go to areas in repower eu is so important we do need a reliable system to ensure that renewables developers can plan their investments with greater confidence uh, and ensure that they avoid biodiversity sensitive areas and this is also the approach that we and our teams at the nature conservancy have been developing and hope to help uh, expand in europe in the interests of supporting the implementation of repower eu uh, using the latest science as igor and zelka uh, explained we believe you can map out the areas where nature friendly renewables can be much more quickly deployed and let me emphasize that this is not a substitute for early consultation with communities we mustn't forget the role of local people and communities in this but we do believe that it can more efficiently allow designated pre-approved zones in low impact areas.
0: No, thank you so much. Thanks to all our panelists for uh, concise introductions. Now, from what I hear, uh, this all comes down to the quality of of the data and getting that data together, as we heard from Zelka and and from Gorgua in particular as well, is that it comes from the stakeholders. So, adapting methodology was one thing that uh, Zelka mentioned as an outcome of the consultation with stakeholders as well. Uh, so, Greg, well, I just want to ask you in terms of you know what Nora said here as well, your confidence building uh on removing bottlenecks to ensure this permitting process can happen uh, more quickly as well it, you know we need a streamlined approach uh, to achieve these objectives what's your experience in looking at the data you know, is the data convincing for investors can we see another step change in this process Gregor?
5: well the uh, super challenging question um, access to biodiversity data is still a huge challenge We have been working uh, at the Joint Research Center closely with the Nature Conservancy in developing uh, the web-based tools accessible to all to really do this special planning. But one thing is doing uh, uh, having access to the methods and the tools. The other one is really having access to the data. The data have notoriously been managed by NGOs and very little, and not frequently, by governments. So this is where we need really to bring the industry together, the governments, the NGOs, even the citizen science, who are bringing a lot of data. Uh, but it's all very fragmented. So we need to challenge this fragmentation of the information, making sure that this information is accessible to all it's curated it's managed properly this is an enormous challenge and we need again to think beyond the borders Uh, it's not that uh, biodiversity decides to stay within the country it moves around it needs to move freely uh, they migrate so uh, it's it's really a collective effort not only a a country one a european one it's a global effort these are challenges that we are also discussing at the, the 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 convention on biodiversity so This indeed uh, is, uh, for me, one of the biggest challenges that we are still facing, is having a long-term strategy for making this information available freely and accessible to everyone.
0: Thank you. Uh, Jeremy, just to to build on what Gogo has said, the idea that this is a huge challenge for individual countries, uh, even county councils, for example, as well, bringing together all this this data. From the the Luxembourg uh, perspective as well, does it matter to you that we have a, a, a 27 member state approach or can we go uh, an individual uh, approach with this? Is this time for uh, a European uh, consolidation on on this this project to make the the permitting process easier for investors where this mapping is done at an EU level and not just an ad hoc basis by individual countries and and regions?
4: Thank you. That's an interesting question. And there is indeed a lot of focus on on permitting. And I, I fully concur with the fact that uh, we have more to do in terms of data sharing and access to data, and reduce time delivery for uh, for permits. However, th- that's really, uh, on a, on my perspective, not the biggest reason explaining the uh, very long lead time of renewable energy projects. And one of the very important reasons is uh, the uh, the legal uh, lawsuits that are um, that we experience. Uh, based on, on the different, uh, on different projects. And then, even if we solve or accelerate critically, and we need to do that. I'm not challenging that. We need to do that. But even if we critically accelerate permit delivery, if we reduce from two, year, two years to one year, it's, it's already a gain, uh, uh, of course. But if afterwards, we are facing five, six, seven years of, of legal lawsuits and uh, appeals and all that, even the the acceleration of the permitting is not really uh solving the issue it's it's only partly solving the issue and the the, the way to address the, uh, the the legal risk and to, to reduce litigation and to, and to, to eventually reduce lead time of uh, of, uh, of projects to to be to be implemented is really the early involvement of local communities so permitting yes and we're trying to improve that but on top of addressing the permitting issue, we absolutely need to have early involvement of, of local communities, uh, not just inhabitants, but also economic actors, so that uh, thanks to their early involvement and the zoning approach and all that, it ultimately reduces uh, litigation risk and speeds up the project completion.
0: Thank you. Dan, I bring you back and you wanted to remark on this also.
6: Brian. I just wanted to point um, the fact that, um, actually, when, when it comes to data access, okay, it's very important, but what is also important is to have uh, key performance indicators. So, basically, everyone reporting on um, specific um, indicators that can afterwards be analyzed at member state level, but also at European level. So, actually, we know where where are the problems, where where is the progress, if there is any progress, and if the legislation is implemented. So the monitoring part, the reporting part, is very important if we want to accelerate permitting. And then this this is where digitalization comes in. We have to digitalize the permitting procedures. Um, This will help us to collect the necessary data that will afterwards improve our assessments and improve the recommendations we can actually make Member states and to, to local authorities that in most of the cases do um, do have to um, actually issue this uh, this permits and to complement what Jeremy was um, was saying of course early involvement of uh, communities is important but also it's important to break the silos to look um, at spaces that are already built and see how we can actually uh, use. Those uh, spaces to deploy renewable energy, we have. Uh, he mentioned uh, agrivoltaics. That's an extraordinary way of of, uh, of looking at how agriculture and energy um, uh, sector can work together. We see now in the solar uh, strategy references to the transport infrastructure, uh, also floating PVs. So all these new uh, ways of of using spaces and multi-use of spaces has has to have to be taken into account. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Then I just follow up. What you're describing is not just an approach to permitting, but a project by project approach as well for investment. You know, Floating PV is very different from anything which you're going to put on land and certain types of investors are going to be attracted to that and each has a different risk profile as well. You know, when you look at how your company invests in the future, uh, as well, you're, you're not just looking for uh, the, the good of, of the environment, you have to return a profit on this too. So, you know, what is it that, that appeals to, to companies like yours in terms of how, uh, and, uh, how you approach uh, the risk side of this, but also the longer term uh, return on investment as well? What are the, what are the, the, the elements that appeal most?
6: Um, so, your electric is uh, is representing companies, um, associations in the electricity sector, and we have indeed leading utilities that look at renewables projects from from this integrated perspective. And going forward, probably the most important, uh, one of the most important elements um, for any project developer would be visibility. So, we need visibility. We need the certainty that. When you develop a project, when you ask for permission, this is actually um, um, going to go uh, smoothly if you respect the rules. If you are, um, yeah, if you're if you're playing by by the rules. So, I think visibility and certainty of uh, stability of rules is uh, is our, our key for uh, for renewables deployment uh, going forward.
0: Okay, so for your members, it's there's nothing new in this in terms of investment strategy. It's stability, the predictability, uh, and the long-term uh, visibility of, of projects. And uh, for that to happen, the data clearly has got to be uh, robust as well. No, uh, you want to add to that?
7: I was saying. I can't. Hear you the,
0: yeah, there we go.
7: Of course, to uh, to accelerate renewables investments we do need to ensure that there is greater investor confidence out there. So fully support the point that Diana was making. Um, what, what's interesting to reflect on, and, and think Jeremy pointed to this, is that at the moment, we don't really have one single definition of what best practice for renewable siting could look like in Europe. Um, Do we risk having 27 different approaches or or is it time to actually try to bring stakeholders together to help define what that best practice looks like? And in doing so, uh, work with the industry, with civil society, with local communities and governments to help not only define that, but then perhaps against that, recognise and reward companies and investors that do, uh, adopt such best practice and help them roll out nature-friendly renewables much more quickly.
0: No, well, for you, what does best practice look like? Uh, is this is this too broad a concept, or do we have to go uh, uh, project by project and identify like uh, similar projects and what best practice looks like there? Or can we have uh, overarching uh, approaches to this as well with benchmarking?
7: I think it is possible to have overarching approaches to this. I don't think there is uh, any one uh, stakeholder group that has the answer, which is why we need to bring together different views. We heard in the presentation earlier, some examples of how uh, data sets and best practices have been put together to work very well in Croatia. Um, I think this is a golden opportunity for, for the commission to, to help facilitate what a definition could look like and to work with the member states and others to help drive that forward. And I'd be interested to hear from the other
0: panelists on that. Yeah, thank you. I'll bring it to to the panel also in just a second. Uh, Diana, for your members as well, the mapping element that uh, we we saw earlier as well, just in terms of being able to communicate opportunity, to communicate clearly about uh, what is possible. Does this help uh, uh, organizations like yours communicate the message and accelerate the process as well? Because what we saw was essentially a traffic light system uh, for investment, you can't do it here in the exclusionary zones. You may be able to, to do it here in the, these areas and here are the low-impact areas. And in terms of decision-making and and uh, process, that to me would seem to be an accelerator. Uh, how would you see it?
6: Um, so, indeed, it's, um, it's important to know what are the areas um, that are are particularly suitable for for renewables deployment. At the same time, it's very important to take into account uh, also something that is proposed by the Commission that we need to have sufficient um, land um, that is mapped by member states for for renewables deployment that is um, you know in in line with their uh, renewables targets. So um, important, yes, um, to have to have this uh, spatial planning. Um, important to give visibility um, but also um, very, very important to take into account the fact that so this is what we discovered through the power plant project that we are developing now because you were asking whether it's possible to develop it at an an industry level or at European level. Uh, We are trying to do this uh, with our project. We're trying to bring everyone together and to discuss what would be positive practices and how we could actually bring this uh, together and kind of mainstream uh, them um, across uh, across countries Um, and it is um, it is key that we um, also take into account that there are projects now that help with biodiversity uh, restoration in areas and that now uh, can be um, can become afterwards in 2000 we have seen such projects in, um, in in nordic countries Um, So what I what my point is here that some renewables projects can actually um, improve or further develop biodiversity. So we should not uh, by default uh, consider that um, now uh, renewables projects do not uh, do not do this. Um, On the contrary, we we should encourage uh, best practices that are already there and acknowledge that some companies are already doing great efforts um, and and, uh, happy to.
0: Thank you. I think we lost the signal there just for a moment. Uh, Dan will be back in just a second, I'm sure. Uh, Jeremy and Gregoire, just to follow up on what uh, Nero was talking about uh, as well in terms of best practice and now being a moment of opportunity for Europe uh, to establish uh, best practice uh, for for, uh, this approach. What does best practice uh, look like to you, Gregoire, in the European context uh, for mapping, for profiling uh, projects? And uh, for driving this agenda uh, for our Repower EU. I can't hear you. let see. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Thank you. Thank
5: you. Okay. Perfectly. Um, Go ahead. Okay, good. Most important than the tools and the recommendations on exactly what to use is, again, the process. Uh, And I think one thing is key to the Commission is to make sure that information is available and trans- that the process is transparent. So again, uh, I'm putting on the table the information of open access in support to decision-making. So this is, I think, something very important. Regarding the recommendations, I need to look in the right departments uh, to see what kind of proposals are drafted regarding best practices and recommendations. They need to be general. But for sure, the interactions with all the stakeholders will be key. And now looking at the, at the European dimension, considering the heterogeneity of the spatial distribution of biodiversity, we have biodiversity hotspots in certain areas, so we need to pay attention in certain areas than more than in others. So it's it's really a European challenge to really have a coordination uh, uh, across these different sectors, but also across the countries to have a, a, a common strategy. So it's more than only a, a, a recommendation for a single site uh, assessment and, and development. It's it's really a global and European vision that needs to be implemented to make sure we have proper coordination. I hope you could hear okay. me this time. Thank you.
0: I'm not. Yes, no, I got it. It was all, all perfect. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Just to follow up on that, you know, green uh, is always heard with digital attached to it uh, these days as well. And if we're talking about transparency and what we heard earlier as well from Diana, you know, the green and digital age is—is is this the moment for for benchmarking? And uh, should this be a protracted process, or uh, even though we have the heterogeneity of of uh, the, the the environment and the the, the differences between member states? that there should be sufficiently robust data in a, a reasonably transparent way, which allows this process to go forward more quickly without remaining in silos. Jeremy?
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I fully, uh, I fully uh, agree with that. And um, contexts are different, but we, we can always learn from, from other projects and learn from good practices. And, and some of the good practices also derived from um From stakeholders consultation, from listening to people who are actually involved in the uh, in the deployment of a, of projects. So if, if if I refer back to the agri uh, agri PV project, the pilot project we are we are running, uh, how, how did it really start? We listened to to farmers themselves. Uh, we th- there was like a general perception amongst farmers that installation of of PV would lead to a loss in revenue. Uh, th- that was really one of the, of the concerns that uh, that came uh, very prominently, because of the loss of available uh, surface uh, due to the installation of the uh, of, of the PV panels, and due to the fact that with this additional activities they may lose uh, extra revenues from uh, support and aid uh, production support and production aid. Uh, so what what we did is really to to sit together with them and to try to address these concerns these concerns by factoring in two elements in the projects we're running. Firstly, there can be no more than 10% loss of available surface. And that was very reassuring for for agricultures, because like I said, they were very concerned with the loss of surface that would lose, that would um, entail a loss of of revenue. And secondly, we uh, changed the rules so that they would maintain their eligibility to aid. So even if they enter into this agri uh, PV project and they have extra revenue derived from this installation of PV panels on their, on their land, they would still remain eligible for, uh, for, for, for support based on their primary farming activity. So for, for that reason, uh, it, it is something we have not maybe rightly uh, spotted at the, at the very beginning. And by sitting down with them, by uh, establishing together those uh, rules we kind of uh, came to the uh to, to this good practice to some extent that could be replicated also uh, also elsewhere in other agro pv agri PV, uh, agri pv projects so yes it's all about sharing experience it's about benefiting from each other's good practices and uh and, and yeah that's uh, that's probably one of the uh, added values uh, of, of this event uh, as well
0: Thank you, uh, Jeremy. Thank you for that. And uh, let's go to some of the questions from our audience as well. Uh, first one is for Zelka, and this is Julia from WWF. Is Croatia considering to have uh, go-to areas also for hydropower? Zelka? Uh, well-
3: this was not uh, a scope of, of our project, so we were not, uh, I cannot uh, say now uh, for the government, uh, I can only say for our project, so I'm, I'm not aware if they're considering that. I think that first we will start with uh, solar and wind, and then we will see uh, how this develops.
0: Okay, thank you. You stay with this. Another question also. Um, from Raleigh. Uh, did local stakeholders raise questions about the noise level of installed wind power parks? Welcome. Uh,
3: well, there has been a, a questions. For example, I'm I'm uh, actually a biologist working in energy field, so I I deal quite a lot with with the environmental impact assessments, and this is one of the issues that is addressed there. However, in, within this project, we, we had to draw uh, a line at some point, so uh, we couldn't really go into depth with this uh, um, certain uh, data as, as, you know, um, noise levels. But we did certain buffers, you know, around the... the um, uh, kind of like around certain areas, for example, uh, we included the buffer around settlements to take this in consideration also a buffer around um, uh, um, let's say some some important other areas where uh, people can be uh, found in in order to also encompass this. But we didn't do uh, a precise uh, calculations because we didn't have a real project. We just had, you know, um, a spatial analysis. So yes, th- this was kind of okay. considered. Uh,
0: all right, thank you. A uh, question for Igor as well. Jeremy from Bioenergy Europe. And um, is Croatia also considering biomass uh, for energy? Igor?
2: Uh, <clears throat> as far as I know, yes. But um, what we are focusing, as Jelka just mentioned here, is solar and wind, because these are the uh, energy sources which are largely underdeveloped in Croatia, in region, Uh, So that's why there was a focus. So, um, again, uh, we are not excluding uh, renewable energy sources. We are kind of agnostic uh, to it in a way, but we are focusing on solar and wind because this is where we see the most potential and most unused potential at the moment.
0: Okay, thank you. And question is also from Raleigh Kayaste. Uh, to all the panelists, and uh, I think this is optimistic, but let's try anyway. Uh, your five key indicators you consider most important uh, for nature conservation, and environment, for the implementation of new solar and wind installations. So your key five indicators. I'll take whatever you can give me on this uh, panel. Okay, uh, Jeremy. Let's kick off with you. Any? What are your key indicators? Uh, just uh, headlines. uh
4: no, 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 real key indicator uh, to, to report, but like in general, the increased ecological value. Uh, and ecological is not just about biodiversity; it's also about um, soil quality, uh, water quality. So there are different sets of indicators that I would uh, I would place under the heading of, of ecological uh, value. And I would like just to 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 jump on what uh, Diana said earlier that indeed we observe that after the installation of some uh, renewable energy projects, the ecological value of uh, of the land has increased. Because it's not just about generally what we're running in terms of, of projects. It's not just the sole installation of, of, of PV panels, for example, but it goes with mm-hmm. uh, lower usage of, of pesticides, of re-establishment of hedges that, uh, that, that, that pr- give um, additional biodiversity uh, options. Uh, We can see that under the panel there is more humidity and more uh, shade that allows other species to grow which had not grown before, so it's all about the ecological value in general and not just the uh, energy yield uh, in itself, so a broad range of indicators. basically.
0: Thank you. Grégoire, what would you add to that?
5: Well, it's the $1 million question. Uh, We are all embarked with all the parties of the UN Convention on Biodiversity in uh, deciding and selecting the indicators that will be used to uh, uh, monitor the progress regarding the conservation of biodiversity globally. this has been a never-ending discussion, and we come up with uh, a, a whole bunch of uh, indicators, and only a few are really robust. So uh, in the top five, uh, clearly the uniqueness of the habitats and the the, the the threats to which the species are exposed are clearly uh, uh, critical. If you lose one species, there is no way to go back uh, and, and, and recover the species. Something that, that that is striking me is that in most of the data set that you will find available, you find data on species, you find data on product areas maybe even on uniqueness of the ecosystems. What is often lacking are real inform- is real information on the need to connect these ecosystems and the connectivity, ecological corridors to allow the species to move uh, in, uh, in, uh, in our increasing uh, uh, built-up area. Uh, so Species need to move, uh, they need to migrate. We need to have proper maps to document that to make sure that uh, these uh, areas uh, remain connected. And so this is something that will be key for uh, land use planning.
0: Okay. Diana, anything to add from uh, your electric side? Um,
6: yes. So, very quick
0: I, reflection. Can you hear me? Yes. Let's go ahead.
6: Perfect. Um, I would say multi use of spaces, uh, use of digital uh, technologies to monitor habitats, uh, nature, uh, the repurposing of uh, former industrial or degraded lands, um, and reducing actually degradation itself. For instance, you can uh, through PVs in, in in desertified areas, you can um, you can actually restore biodiversity or with PVs, you can prevent evaporation of of water and uh, coexistence with other activities.
0: Thank you. And Nora, anything to add there?
6: Well, I love the question. Um,
7: And this is normally the sort of question I'd ask our scientists, um, given we have, you know, 400 of them in in TNC. Um, I think the question, the fact that we're getting different answers from the panelists, again, shows why we need to have um, a single definition. Uh, and why a single definition of of what that looks like, what the best practice, what the indicators that should be taken into account looks like, is really important to complete the picture for repower EU. So so I would say, you know, let's try to actually build consensus around that. And with that, give both the industry, local communities, member states the greater confidence they need to to really meet this target.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Bruno Campos uh, from Euronature, has sent in a few questions. I like this one in particular. I thank you for that question, by the way, and to all the answers that were given. Uh, Bruna asks, uh, says there are already bad examples of how governments missed and connecting at sea spatial planning with the nature directives, in particular carrying out species sensitive analysis, uh, sensitivity analysis. How do you ensure member states are doing analysis correctly? Greg, you want to have a
5: go with that? I wouldn't know how to answer that. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's no, it's really a challenge, of course. Huh? Again, uh, as I said, information is extremely fragmented, difficult to access, uh, in the hands of very different people, uh, and it's not also the role of okay. information to really double-check these kind of things, uh, but to make the information available and use it uh, the best way we can. Uh, of course, when we are speaking about now uh, compliance with, uh, uh, with with the law, that's another issue, of course. But yeah. Um, Many challenges. Uh, Okay.
0: I think uh, maybe Luxembourg is not the best qualified to talk about sea planning. Um, So I'll skip this one for you, Jeremy, and bring another question just a second. Diana, do you have anything to add to that? Is there a sense of uh, what member states could do in terms of of their analysis for sea spatial planning?
6: Well, I think the basic <laughs> uh, part is to implement the Maritime Spatial Planning Directive and to report uh, on what uh, so they actually do put forward their plans and uh, and monitor uh, uh, the indicators there. So that would be my my uh, my initial uh, reaction on on this. Um, and I probably more detailed guidance uh, from from the Commission. I would say that now the technical support instrument that is um, proposed by the Commission in the Repower you communication is very important. So this instrument from now on, we will also have um, a stream focusing on permitting and, I, on, and on renewable energy deployment. We supported this and we asked for this as Euroelectric. And we do hope that through this kind of technical support, member states will also uh, manage to improve their practices. Because sometimes it's indeed a question of real having the right understanding uh, of, of the legislation. It's not always a question that we don't want to implement it. And we're, yeah, it, it's it's really having the right understanding.
0: OK, thank you. Different question from Noor, also from uh, Bruna. Sorry if you prepared an answer for that. Um, So uh, Bruna asks, how do you ensure communities are given a voice to challenge projects, especially when they go to areas Uh, which are defined incorrectly? How would you answer that? So how do you ensure communities given a voice to challenge projects?
7: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. So thanks to Bruna for asking it. And and this, I think, speaks also to um, one element of the Repower EU proposal, which, you know, looking at stakeholder reactions has uh, already started to prove to be controversial, which is, this clause around uh, deciding what's in the overarching public interest. Um, I think it, early consultation uh, is key, as I said before. Uh, spatial mapping uh, and environmental assessment upfront is, is not a substitute for early engagement with local communities, and we must listen to local communities. Uh, who gets to decide what's in the overriding public interest? Well. I certainly wouldn't uh, suggest that I have the answer to that. Um, but let me clarify, you know, this is not just about the environment. There are a whole host of other concerns that do get voiced at local levels. And I'm not sure how helpful uh, that language is um, in terms of, uh, of trying to build consensus. What we need is less controversy, not more. Uh, if we're going to roll out renewables faster, uh, and 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 I think that's one of the reasons why we need to make sure that local communities are involved at every single stage of the process. Uh, so so I would certainly uh, welcome uh, ideas for how we can ensure that there are the right checks and balances in place to ensure that the aims of Repower EU are are upheld at the same time as ensuring that our societal goals uh, are fully fully taken into account.
0: This sounds to me, as Jeremy mentioned earlier as well, that there's, there's a potential series of landmines uh, for litigation if this isn't done properly. Nor, and you
4: know,
0: are you concerned that there, there's, there's too much opportunity for uh, stakeholders in the early stages to limit uh, the, the opportunity that's there to achieve uh, energy and from renewables uh, over the medium term? Uh, you know is it, it you know overriding public interest is, is controversial in this, this context it's not well defined yet yeah and this is the kind of thing which could go through the courts for a long time to determine what that actually means uh, is this a problematic phrase No, that that uh, should be clarified earlier and defined more tightly earlier to give uh, more stability more clarity for investors
7: I mean, personally, I think so, yes. I think, as I said, we need less controversy, not more. Um, And it could be quite a provocative uh, statement, uh, I think, to some. Um, That said, I think there will be lots of healthy debate about this um, as member states and and others consider uh, the the proposals and and look about how to implement them. I think what's really important is that we do involve all stakeholder groups in this. um, And it is important that we start to uh, see if we can build um, the types of partnerships that we haven't seen before, which can break through the barriers that we've seen, long-standing barriers to what have now been problems, old problems, been around for a while. The only way we're going to get through those is if we can forge new partnerships that can look for solutions and, uh, and see how things can be done differently.
0: Thank you. Jeremy, just Jeremy, this one will bring another question in just after. Jeremy, your own experience of this in Luxembourg, uh, you're forming those new partnerships. What's different about this process if you in, uh, go to the consultation earlier? Are there different dynamics to this in terms of other types of uh, public consultation? Um, is there a, a sense that the overriding public interest is problematic in Luxembourg?
4: So, generally speaking, I mean, it's it's still a little bit early to to tell about the results, but generally speaking, like the earlier you involve communities, you involve stakeholders, the better you get uh, projects which are solid afterwards, which are not open to, uh, to litigation, and and there is a real change of of mindset. I mean, just when you ask people about their opinion, uh, they feel immediately more involved in the project. They feel uh, they develop. Uh, slowly, ownership about the project. So it's it's not just about a uh, um, a, a box you're ticking or a standard consultation you're running just for the sake of saying okay, I consulted and then I go go around with my my project, uh, whatever happens. But, but but it's really you can see that it really develops this sense of ownership, and that makes the the, the whole project very um, very different and much more likely to succeed, and likely to succeed within a more reasonable uh, time. To, to jump on the public interest, I, yes, I, go ahead. very, very quickly, if you allow me, Brian, just one second. I, I, I look at it at first glance a little bit more positively than you do more uh, at this very stage. I mean, I, I concur with you on the fact that it would need legal clarity to avoid uh, that it's interpreted in a way we don't want and that, or that it's opening the, the door to challenges uh, that we don't want to see. But at first glance, we, we, we see. I, mean, I see that a little bit more positively in the sense that it would allow those projects to be considered as infrastructure projects, uh, which are vital for the, uh, the achievement of our, our climate goals, and that would allow maybe to, to address some of the, uh, the, the permit issues, permit delivery issues that we are, we are facing by accelerating the procedure. So it can also be, if it's well done, I really think it can be an accelerator rather than a, uh, a thing that would uh, break on, on the pace of product uh,
0: development. Okay, thank you. It's another quick question from uh, Florian Graber, uh, from University of Natural Resources and Life Sciences in Vienna. And this is to the panel. I think maybe Igor and Zilka could uh, have a go at this uh, first and maybe a couple of quick reactions as well from the rest of the panel. Uh, in your opinion, is it really possible to reliably map areas as suitable for RE projects, Taking into account the current EU habitats, which is Birds Directives, and the fact that protected species such as birds tend to migrate, which is uh, something Gregoire touched on earlier as well. Uh, Igor Zelka,
2: I think this is more for Zelka. A bit technical.
3: Okay. Yes. So it's it's you know it's it's extremely difficult, but uh, you know we understand the uh, the certain limitations and. For example, uh, we do not. Uh, when we were doing the pilot projects, we we didn't have uh, information for flyways. You know, it just doesn't exist. Also, like the detailed information on species distribution. However, you know, we are uh, uh, so we are aware of uh, you know the limitation of data, but we are trying to do as as best as possible with the data we have and the idea for the uh, uh, lifting up this at the national level is also to to do species modeling, uh, distribution modeling to to kind of get uh, better information. So uh, our approach here was, you know, precautionary. So uh, in this pilot, we emphasize that uh, this is not, you know, that we are claiming that, uh, you know, um, this is area where you can really now, at this moment, build the power plant. It's just that, that there is less probability that there will have some serious impact on uh, on uh, biodiversity.
2: Okay,
0: Igor, anything to add there, just quickly?
2: No, just uh, what Željka said, that uh, when we are going to upscale this study to Croatia, so to the level of the member state, we are going to use maybe a bit more sophisticated modeling and uh, tnc is going to provide that know-how for the creation government for the species distribution modeling so it's a kind of proxy uh to to uh to try to assess impact on on uh, sensitive species when there is not uh, all the data that we need so i think uh, we are trying to do as much as possible with the with the current data and this is something we will need to take into account that it's not anytime soon it's not going to be perfect with data so we need to find ways to kind of uh, assess risk as much as possible with the data available.
0: Thank you and just before we start our our wrap-up Gregoire I want to ask uh, uh, just a follow-up to that as well in terms of how the European Commission supports data and the JRC uh, Gregoire the idea that uh, we need harmonized approach, but we need more uh, investment in quality data all the way through. Uh, is this something we're going to see more of a, a European approach to?
5: I'm convinced about that. I think we have no choice. I mean, my role as uh, the manager of the Noise Center for Biodiversity is more to interact with all possible stakeholders. So, it's, energy is one of the sectors, but we are dealing with trade. We are dealing with uh, all possible policies, with agriculture and so on. So, data is key. Uh, we always say you cannot manage what you cannot uh, if you cannot measure it. So, the data will be key. And this is where we have been lacking uh, globally uh, really investments, it's having data accessible to everyone. And one step here would be very useful, which would be to map no-go areas first so that we already can focus uh, or exclude certain areas for, for, for any kind of activity to make sure that uh, the, the, the key uh, areas for biodiversity are, are conserved and, and managed for the future. Uh, but there's a lot to do, and I'm sure that uh, we, the Commission definitely is investing in that.
0: Okay, thank you. And now, just for our panel, uh, 30 seconds, your sound bite and to wrap up today. Jeremy, let's kick off with you. Key message for today.
4: Yeah, I'd like to react now to the uh, to the no go approach, and there were a few few speakers who mentioned let's move from the no go area to the go go to area, and and to broaden a little bit the perspective. It's not just about client, it's not just about biodiversity and environment, but but we figure out in Luxembourg that there are very old regulations that prevent uh, windmills, for example, from being wind turbines from being um, installed less than uh, one kilometer from a highway it, it's a legacy from the past uh, when, when we were scared that uh, wind turbines would fall on, on the highway so th- there is a lot of, of things to to clean in the um, in the approach to to siting and permitting which are of course on biodiversity but much broader also on the whole barriers and obstacles that we need to to uh, to, to, to remove and maybe last uh, last thoughts uh, to, to conclude from my side we have loads of examples where renewables and ecological value, biodiversity, soil quality, water quality, go hand in hand in harmony. So there is no reason to to oppose uh, the climate objectives and the biodiversity protection objectives. They can really go well hand in hand. And many projects show co-benefits on both fronts uh, of these two elements.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Dan, 30 seconds.
6: Um, I can totally actually support what what Jeremy just said. Uh, Climate change and biodiversity loss must be tackled together. We don't have the time to, and it's not actually efficient or possible to tackle them separately. Um, For this, we need an integrated approach towards renewable energy deployment. Um, And we want to do that in the electricity sector. We are here to help. So uh, very much looking forward to to the 16th of June, where we will launch our report on the power plant. And um, yeah, thank you very much for the very timely discussion.
0: Thank you, Diana. Grégoire, over to you. Last word, 30
5: seconds. I think 10 years ago, we would not be sitting here discussing about uh, biodiversity uh, loss uh, so, I think we already make enormous progress. I think this uh, round of discussions highlighted the challenges we have in communication, in mainstreaming a number of processes, but we are getting there, and uh, I think that's the most important is really to work together.
0: Thank you so much, Nora. Last word 30 seconds.
7: Thanks, Brian. Firstly, let's all get behind Repower EU. It's a terrific package. Now, it needs all stakeholders, uh, all sectors to work together to make it a success. Number two, with the right mapping, yes, we can have nature-friendly renewables and we can accelerate their expansion here in Europe. Um, We need more of the the data sets and the science-led approach. And thirdly, Europe has a fantastic opportunity now to really get the approach right to siting renewables and to help uh, ensure that that can be a blueprint which we hold up internationally um, for other countries uh, to follow suit. So thanks very much.
0: No, thank you so much indeed. And just uh, our final wrap up to say thanks to our studio uh, audience as well, our audience for all the contributions today. Lots of questions, lots of interest there, uh, and you can follow up and uh, the full program will be published uh, online as well. You can share that. Uh, when you see it too. So follow your active uh, for that. And to Zoran and Bonia and Anna, you don't see them there in the studio. This all comes together uh, because of, of their work and, and the diligent efforts uh, that they make over weeks before uh, this takes place as well. So thanks to to the team in, the, in Brussels uh, studio as well and to the Nature Conservancy uh, for their support uh, for this program today and this partnership as well. Our thanks. So thanks to uh, Jeremy, to Gregoire, uh, Diana, Noor, Igor and Zelka for their uh, contributions today. It was a good discussion. you could see we could spend another hour on this easily, uh, th- uh, thrashing out more detail. And uh, so wherever you are today, and uh, from Washington here and in Brussels, uh, I wish you a good day. Thank you.